You are listening to Friends of Europe's podcast. Don't miss our debates on global and European issues that span political, economic, social and environmental challenges and follow our website at friendsofeurope.org. Hello. Good evening, everyone. Sorry to kind of kill the conversations. These are important, I know, but we're, we're, we're to have, be having in, in conversation with the Commissioner. I'm very pleased to welcome Commissioner Vera Yerova, who is the Commissioner for Justice, Consumers and Gender Equality. My name is Darmendra Kanani. I'm uh, Director of Strategy and the moderator for this, this, I hope, will be a lively, interactive and provocative debate on an issue that seems to endure. Uh, despite the common sense of how, how our societies are made up, uh, we continue to have the gap in pay the gap in equal uh, opportunities um, and other matters. And so we want to have this conversation um, in earnest about what can be done and what is left to be done when we think about the future. I want to start, if I may, uh, Commissioner, um, with the report that you came out with earlier this year, which is almost, you know, your work on gender equality in this, in this term of office. And there are kind of interesting things here, look. Um, we know, and these are facts that all of you know. I think it's disappointing that we don't have more men in the audience. Isn't that telling? Isn't that telling? I mean, I'm not a football fan at all, but I was reading the fact that, you know, there are more women commentators this year than ever before in the World Cup, yet Getty Images today release the sexiest fans, and all of them are women. There goes figures, the dilemma that we, that we experience. But let me go to the facts at heart that most of you know. Women are more better educated than men, yet they, they, remain, they remain underrepresented in decision-making. They're also underrepresented in politics, and countries like Greece, Croatia, Cy uh, Cyprus, Latvia, Hungary, Malta, less than 20% in their parliaments. And the gender gap in employment has stagnated um, for at least uh, the past 11, well, for the past few years at 11 percentage points. And this is a shocking fact. 44% of Europeans, in average, think that women should take care of their homes and families. And violence, and this is a, I think this is the one that kind of corrodes everything is that one in three women in Europe have experienced physical or sexual violence since the age of 15. This is not the third world. People see it as out there, you know, uh, that, that kind of stuff happens in India or Africa or Latin America, but actually in Europe, one in three women experience physical violence and harassment from the age of 15. So that sets the kind of backdrop for this conversation. Um, you have been a champion of this issue for obvious reasons, but you've taken it, you know, you've, you've really taken some steps in earnest to see um, how you can use your position to really kind of create uh, the kind of European equalities watchdog that we need in Europe. What's your, what's your take on the scorecard now? Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Can you hear me? I'm happy to be here today with you. Uh, yesterday I was grilled in the parliament on the topic of money laundering. So, uh, but uh, even without that experience, I would be happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. How does it feel to be the champion of something where there, there is such an unpleasant reading? Uh, I reacted on this report by the words that I am disappointed because I expected uh, better progress. Uh, the statistical figures showing lower representation, the, the figures, the shocking facts uh, describing where we are with violence against women, uh, where we are with uh, public opinion uh, and 
especially in some member states where we see the backtracking. Uh, Franz Timmermans calls it contra-revolution uh, or cultural contra-revolution. These are all, all varying uh, facts. Uh, I listened or I heard last year even uh, at a sentence in the European Parliament uh, of one member that the women have uh, smaller brains. Do you remember that? I was sitting there and I, I, I wanted to react, but uh, the, the, I wanted to say that the gentleman left, but the, the man left, uh, sorry, uh, the, the, the audience before I could, uh, could react. So yes, unpleasant reading, uh, a lot of work ahead of us. Uh, in spite of all that, I keep saying that Europe is a good address for women, but uh, it is unfinished business. Uh, this is, uh, surprisingly, in my portfolio, the, the most difficult part. Uh, and the most difficult from the angle of how to move it, how to change it. Because you can hardly do it with only with legislation. You have to combine the instruments. Legislation, campaigning, funding, and support of the organizations. And behind all that influencing the public opinion and uh, to, to initiate some, some kind of uh, change of the mindset and cu cultural change. And this takes decades, sometimes centuries. Uh, when I look at the topic, oh, topic is not the right word, uh, to the, the, the field of uh, violence against women, we have in EU of these days uh, about half million women and girls uh, who went through female genital mutilation. And this is only uh, based on the data which we managed to collect. There is a suspicion that the, the, the reality is much higher. And uh, here we have something to do with taboo. It is taboo. It is something which we do not like to speak about. And uh, I, I am obsessed by that because I studied cultural anthropology and there, there was clear uh, and big theory about that taboo can not change at all. In fact, over centuries. Then there are traditions here. You need centuries to change them. Then you have habits and cultural patterns where you need decades or, or years. And this is what makes this gender equality field so difficult, that we have to have and take uh, realistic goals and use the proper instruments. The instruments are for increasing the representation of women, the combination of quota and uh, voluntary schemes and campaigning, uh, in the field of violence against women, this is the combination of campaigning, uh, supporting the organizations plus legislation, and here we are in the field of criminal justice. Uh, on, on the female uh, mutilation, when I, when I spoke to the people from law enforcement uh, field about this, I, I even heard the, the opinion that this is part of some, someone's culture. This is absolutely unacceptable. This, this is barbarism and, and we have to use the heaviest and the toughest possible instrument we have and that's the criminal law. 
against those mm -hmm. who do that. Uh, when speaking about pay gap, and this is also worrying that we still have 16% of, of pay gap in the EU, uh, we need to use combination of instruments. That's the legislation, that's, uh, and we did it now with the work-life balance package. I can go into more details, I don't want to speak too long at the beginning. Uh, we uh, want to invest more into the uh, social, uh, social services and kindergartens and, and creches to, to enable the, the parents to combine their work and their family duties by also using these affordable and accessible services. Uh, so, so you see this is unfinished business. We have realistic goals. I am focusing on Combating against violence is one thing, but on the economic topics. Because when we, when we put the label of gender, it doesn't fly. To say that something is unfair, forget it. To say that these problems are women's problems, you accuse it to non-solution. We have to start speaking about the problem of the whole society, about unwise policies which continue like that, about short-sighted uh, solutions, because we need to employ the women talents, we need to employ those highly educated women and, and young girls, we need to get them to the technological sectors, which is hungry for talents. And they keep telling me that there are no women in the pipeline. I don't believe that, by the way. Uh, and so I try to take this angle of economic uh, rationale that if we do not enable the fair competition for women to get higher to the positions, the whole society is losing. The whole society, by the way, is losing from 2 to 5% of GDP. We have a good survey showing that. And the last thing, and we can continue this, you wanted to have it interactive, sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> the last thing which makes me really upset is when I hear uh, also in the European Parliament that it is the right of women to have children, so we have to help them to be better mothers and so on. My God, this society needs children. We need the, sorry, I will be cynical, we need the future taxpayers. And when I will become pensioner, but it's quite quite soon. When Monica will become, <laughs> <laughs> she's she's ten years younger. Uh, she's giving you age right now. There will be, I, I think, I don't I don't know how many, forty percent of them. I I don't have the statistics. No, in Europe, we're facing a huge gap in terms but of who will pay for future taxes because of aging population. So is this only a problem of women? And then speaking about the combination of women and men in politics, mm. it's another chapter. I will give I you a chance to, you to that, ask please. me. Yes, because I do. I'm going to be brave and bold and ask you a little bit about that in terms of how it feels to be in the position you are and with what you've described as a diamond. But let me come back to that in a minute. The issue for me, and I think for most of us, is that we know all this, and it feels like we need a different narrative on equalities because it seems to be about morality. It, it seems to be very emotional, yet there is a whole society, whole economics approach to this. And what does it take to change the debate that actually this is not about women, this is about how society 
is going to prosper in the future. And actually, for both economic and social reasons, and for the very nature of women being reproductive in society, we actually need a different approach. How do you change that norm? Um, and, you know, from your, just a, a sense from you about what do you think will take to buck the trend of the narrative? Because those of you who've been around, I'm, I mean, I'm old, I've, this, th none of the points you're making and the issues have gone away. I mean, they are the same points that come back decade after decade, year after year. But we don't seem to trip the wire in terms of having a very different narrative about, actually, this is a whole society issue. And uh, it's about a whole economics issue. What's your, you know, what's your sense of how do we do that? To my big regret, I must say, and my, I was declared after almost four years doing this portfolio, that it's more alarming for our society when I give them the message, we are losing money. When I say we are losing dignity, fairness, values, it doesn't work. And I, I am, I'm sorry, but it is my, this is the feedback which, which, I, which I hear, of course, not at the meetings like that. <laughs> mm. But uh, I receive emails, I, I read uh, the reactions in some member states. Uh, this is more and more difficult to promote equality, equality in front of the law, anti-discrimination measures. It's uh, very unpopular in some countries to, to raise these, these topics. And that's why I'm so happy that we still have brave politicians at the, at the level of the member states. So, so yeah. yes, I am rather pragmatic. Uh, I decided to uh, have good data, good collection of data mm. to show that we are losing money. Uh, we are pushing on more women in managerial and supervisory boards in, in the companies because uh, we have the evidence that uh, the companies uh, where there was diversity and mixture of women and men in, the, in boards, uh, these companies survived financial crisis better because they earlier started mm. to do preventive measures because we women sniffed the risk earlier than men. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, the, the mixture is good for uh, good combination of good decisions. I would not like to live only in the world where only men decide, as well as only women decide. Yeah. We want balanced uh, approach, and uh, if I will not go too much f from, your, from your question, uh, we are nine commissioners out of 28. Mr. Juncker wanted at least nine, so he has nine sometimes cheeky women, because <laughs> we often say things which <laughs> the men don't want to have troubles. So it, does it go out? Is it true? No, it's all between <laughs> us. There's no reporting. It's a private conversation between you and I. Uh, by, by the way, that, that is a champion of, of, of gender equality, and, and it's Ginter Ettinger, mm. who took over the HR uh, portfolio after Kristalina Georgieva. And he's continuing. Mm. her work in getting the, the women to the managerial, to the senior positions. And I start to believe that this commission will end up with 40%, which was uh, the goal at the beginning, and it's thanks to Ginter. So coming back to, to this mixture uh, in this, uh, for, for good decision-making, well, I, I saw it many times uh, over the, the life of this commission when we had many very decisive moments uh, this commission was a continuous crisis management. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, in in fourteen it started with Ukraine and Russian uh, uh, aggression, um, uh, terrorism, migration, whatever Brexit. There were so many moments uh, when we were at the crossroads, and our male colleagues, and with full respect to them, I have to say, they have that uh, pattern for behavior: either escape or attack. Yeah, but that's stemming from, from nature. It, this is how we are. And, and the conditioning, women, I'd say. Uh, conditioning, conditioning yes. absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, always it was one of us, of the, of the female commissioners, who said, let's, wait a minute, let's try these unused possibilities for compromise. And let's uh, try again uh, to have the win-win result let's uh, discuss further it, it was if it is only woman who decides it would be too soft we would be losing and in in the era of mr trump uh, we have to be more resilient it's it's quite obvious uh, sure yeah but sure. Uh, but this uh, sense for win-win and for uh, assessing early enough the risk this all pays off and this is what I try to explain the company world. Mm. And if we do it with quota or without, with women on boards directive, which is still pending and waiting for Germany to move, by the way, I, I, I had a discussion about that with, with Madame Franziska, the, the, the German minister for, for gender. She promised to look into it. Uh, so if we do it with legislation or without, but we have to keep pushing and explaining that this is advantages for the business. Absolutely, and that point you make, I mean, um, there are so many, there are many researchers gone into this about, they call it unhelpfully female values versus male values. I think that's not, I, I would like to characterize differently, but there's something about compassion, consensus building, listening, hearing, wanting to reach common goals and do it in a way. I mean, when you think about Europe and Merkel, you know, she demonstrates that quite significantly. But the fact is that it's not a valued set of behaviors or values, unfortunately, at, at all. And I think that one of the things that matters here, we know this and you know this really well, leadership matters on this. Yeah. I mean, even if you make the business case, actually it's a leader of a company or a leader of a party or a prime minister that can say something that can actually have an impact on culture and behavior. And have you been able to, I mean, have you brought together, uh, for example, CEOs of 50 of the most, you know, largest companies in Europe and say, actually, what you do matters on equalities? This is almost our everyday bread. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I met many of the top managers. We do it through Business Europe. We, we do it through, through uh, American Chamber of Commerce, through different uh, roof organizations. And th this is very, very often the case that we bring this topic and we ask what is the what is the, 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 the development in the business world. We are encouraging the companies and also public institutions to enter the diversity charter, sure. uh, which I'm is very about, important. Sorry to cut across you. I'm talking about something about which says step up and stand up to this agenda and actually vocally as 50 men or 50, you know, because it's mostly men in the largest companies in Europe, actually sign up to doing something and be vocal. Say these three things in your company and across Europe that actually this is unacceptable and we stand for this. this Which is, is the, different to promoting this, it and saying standing up to a charter. This is the diversity charter uh, to a large extent that okay. because they, if they apply for that and join it, it, it means something. 
Okay. And then it's reflected in their company culture and company uh, HR policy, and I, I think that this is a good way. But this, this is continuous process, and... Uh, sure. Uh, coming back to women on boards, uh, this is about supervisory uh, boards uh, of listed companies. We have 11,000 of them. So Germany has the law, it brings fruits. We, we see this, mm. but the situation is changing. And in Germany there are 5,000 out of those 11,000. And then there are other states, uh, I think it's Belgium, I forgot it, uh, France. Uh, Italy, Belgium, and the Netherlands, and UK have some form of legislatively binding quota. Mm -hmm. We see good results and good good uh, good development. So I uh, I uh, try to address uh, and call on all these states. You have your law, enable it to others by adopting the Women on Boards Directive. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't ha doesn't happen, we still have some time. Uh, we already, for, for the case it will not happen, we already started Plan B, which is this uh, demanding, addressing the, the concrete companies, going to the different forums and, uh, and pushing and influencing, campaigning. Sure, and I'm, I'm mindful that, you know, the UK released it because it has the gender pay reporting um, initiative, yet it came out early, only in April, but it shows some of the most incredible vast differences between uh, pay. So whilst, but I suppose what the most important thing about that, that piece of uh, regulation is that it opens up a space for a conversation about pay by women and men in a company. Albeit it's difficult, but it does make it more transparent and actually companies and directors can't hide behind the fact that, you know, 50% of the workforce get paid less than men for doing the same job. So it can open up a space for conversation, but it's not changing the dynamic. I, I like the the debate in the UK after this report went out, because the figures are quite telling and shocking in many totally. cases. Totally. Yeah. So, so it it was a good thing. The pay gap is is a this this is so complex uh, phenomenon that I I have to shortly speak about the sources. One source is di direct uh, discrimination. It's about eight or ten percent of the pay gap. Uh, it's prohibited by the law in the EU to pay differently for the same exactly. same work uh, to, to, to men and women, but it is still prevailing. So that's why we have now in the action plan uh, to do some preparatory works for the future possible legislation, which uh, should uh, introduce uh, obligatory uh, transparency about the, the pay policies mm -hmm. uh, of the, of the uh, institutions and, and companies. And the second, to, to introduce the sanctions. Because legislation without a sanction, it's a, it's a dog without teeth. Mm. Uh, I cannot mm. help it. Mm. Um, uh, so it's direct discrimination. Then the, the work-life Im imbalance, which we have. Yeah. The, the penalty <laughs> which the, the women have to pay for caring for, for their children and families. And uh, it is crowned at the end of their life by 40% of gap in pensions. This is incredible. This is the reward of the society. For you, the women, 
care the whole life and they combine heavily and in a difficult position very often the, the work and, and family work and uh, then they have this reward so that's why we came as the package of work-life balance we introduced the paternity leave uh, we no, introduced the paid yeah. parental leave we are mm, promoting the flexible working arrangements also to reflect somehow the 21st century <laughs> and new forms of work and new possibilities. Uh, we have in the package uh, the call on the member states to use better the public investment for the social services. Uh, we have the carers leave. So this no, sure. This I think one of the success stories of Europe, which is not mm. discussed or even acknowledged, is its stance and its approach and its track record on promoting equalities. Mm. And as you think about you know, Europe falling apart and citizens not understanding, it's a shame that we haven't been able to communicate the direct impact on people's livelihoods, mm. men and women, because of, the, because of legislation and regulations that's been passed through the EU that have actually improved life circumstances. Yet things persist. I'm going to open it up to the floor, um, if I may. And colleagues in the audience, um, this is your chance to say what you think. Great, I have four hands up. I'll start with the man. So uh, I'm keen on being proactive. Say who you, say who you uh, are. Sorry, please. yes, so Yüksel Chilinger, working for Toyota, but just a volunteer here. Um, being uh, are you okay with the emissions? I am consumer policy. I have, <laughs> I have the book here, no problem. <laughs> Actually, this, I'm, in, I'm in quality and in charge of this also, we can talk. Um, being reactive and proactive, there are so many things. One is that they're not really visible to me. I mean, in these meetings, we all, you know, over, are, are overwhelmed, but I don't see it on TV as you are discussing on company policies and etc. Although Toyota is very well in this sense. And also I'm wondering how it is in the education because education in the schools, we have all the generic things, citizenship and etc. But there's a pure fact, the diversity and gender equality and violence against women. These are, uh, kids are coming from families, maybe facing it. How are they, and they cannot interpret it they think it's the fact of life maybe, then how is it integrated or planned to be integrated really practically in the education? So what moves have you made on education in terms of tackling at the kind of source, sometimes at the source? I must say that the family is first, mm. which creates the personality and the approach to basic things. I, I don't know, we, we, but you, you, you may not agree with me, but uh, I, I have, we, we speak in digital era about algorithms. Mm. So the basic algorithm in, in, inside of all of us is what the family gives us. Uh, if uh, a boy sees that the, the father doesn't hesitate to be, beat his mother mm. when the dinner is not soon enough on the table, then he will be trapped in the same pattern of behavior unless something influences him over the, in the course of his life later. But uh, not to be al alibistic, can I say alibistic? Uh, and to refer to the family, uh, in education we uh, follow two lines. We have the skills agenda now, uh, which, uh, which is the European policy uh, which has set of recommendations to the member states. And one of big recommendations there is that there should be proactive uh, effort to get 
the young girls and women to study the subjects which then can be used in better paid jobs. In other words, now the stereotype is that the women and, and young, young girls go to study and go to work to health sector, uh, education and social services. Strangely, these are the poorest paid sectors in the society. And uh, is it because it's typically women's job? Or is there low pay because it is women's job? Yeah, it is, it is uh, but, but nevertheless, uh, we, we have to look into that also from the perspective of the uh, digital sector, which says we do not have the talents, mm -hmm. uh, we need the women, so we are pushing the member states to do the proactive policy to enable and to encourage the, the women to study the technological subjects. It's, it's one thing. The second thing in education, and it's, it's now a very painful topic, it's uh, Istanbul Convention, uh, which still awaits for ratification in several member states, is the convention which is primarily focused on combating against violence against women. Uh, but there is a very important part in this Istanbul Convention which says that the violence is encouraged or, or stems from the mm, stereotypes. And uh, that's why the convention again invites the member states where appropriate to introduce the anti-stereotypes education in all levels of, 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 of uh, education. It is uh, painful because uh, we wait for the ratification in some states where the churches are against uh, the Istanbul Convention. Mm. Uh, and they say that by uh, promoting this, we are against, we are doing something irreversible against traditional family. So you, you can see it's uneasy to, uh, to promote it, but I do my best. Uh, we now face uh, the accusation that we are distributing gender ideology in the member states. By this convention, it speaks about violence against women and children. Yeah. So this is a, two, two examples of where we uh, try to do something in education. Gender ideology, well, about time. Um, question from yourself. Say again who you are. And brief as well, please, thank you. Yes, you. no problem. Uh, my name is Céline Fabriquet. I'm from the African Diaspora Youth Forum in Europe. Mm -hmm. So my question may be a little bit tricky for you, but it's about diversity. And when I talk about diversity, I talk about ethnicity diversity. Um, I don't feel like the European Commission or in the Parliament represent actually the diver the ethnicity diversity so what is there's uh, i see that there are like plans for um for gender equality in terms of women but what do you do in regards to the diversity of, of women of black women or women from other origin because i think this is also you also missing an added value and yeah, so that will be my question. Thank you. We have the quota uh, or the goal for the women to get them to the senior positions. And uh, in the interest of diversity, we have very clear rules which must not discriminate anyone. 
that's the position of the Commission. So there's no intention of doing a, a specific uh, initiative to make sure that women from diversity background are being also protected and pushed forward to be able to access those uh, employments? Women are, are pushed forward because we have this uh, quota, which doesn't mean that gender itself is qualification. When there are comparable uh, candidates, as for the education, um, experience, uh, capability to do the job, uh, and so on, when we have comparable candidates, then the, the woman gets the priority if it is the senior man managerial position. And that's uh, what I find fair. This is, this is a good thing to apply. Uh, for in this wider context uh, of uh, having diversity in this uh, public service, because we are public service, uh, where we need to insist on the steady uh, uh, conditions of, as I said, education, qualification, and so on, we have to guarantee at the same time that there will be no discrimination. I think that that's fair. So you know, I know you're not satisfied, and you're feeling as if you're having the same argument that white women have had. No, no. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, no, absolutely. I'll come to you in a second. No, no. But I think that I mean, it's not. Uh, I think you make a. Of course, you make a valid point, and it's like the arguments that people have had about racial equality for decades, decades that they feel that you can have equality at one level, but don't actually talk about what it means to have racial equality. Um, and that's an. I think it's one something that needs to be. I think when you think about Europe in the next ten years with what's going to go on in terms of the, the mix of populations, it's going to come and hit it in the face in terms of what it does around the issue that you're, that you're asking for. I'm going to move on to the lady here. If I can add something, uh, I, I don't know whether there are some uh, support uh, platforms or some, some advisory service. I, I don't know what's happening at the level of HR, maybe. There is something like that happening, but I can tell you it's a paradox that we speak about that today and you are not satisfied. I spent yesterday two hours discussing with a lady of Roma origin whose contract is to be terminated and you have no clue what I, ha what I did, who I lobbied to keep her in the service, but not only because she's a Roma woman, but because she's highly qualified and we need her uh, to, to keep her in the staff, so it, it's a paradox that. Uh, no, it is. <laughs> it is no, absolutely. You make the point, but I think you're, you're, what you're what you're saying is there's a political constraint and a political opportunity and a challenge that you're encountering, and what you're doing is trying to create systems that will try and address inequality, and then as a part of that, hoping that with the with a, with a system of anti-discrimination, the two come together. But it takes time. But there are blueprints in the UK. I know when I was working at the head of the Commission for Racial Equality, we had stuff, we had legislation that enabled women to progress, even in political parties. You know, political parties had to address the issue of ethnic minorities and representation of ethnic minorities in their process. And, you know, you see one example of success was the Scottish National Party, that actually when you look at it, it has so much more diversity as a political party than most of the others in the UK and in Europe, but because it adopted a very, very different approach to the legislation. I'm going to move on, gentlemen, lady here. Yeah. If I may just say a quick word, I mean, there is something we tend to forget is that gender equality policies are never diversity blind. And I think the EU gender equality policy is not diversity blind. There's been lots of studies, actions, etc. to, but I mean, it is slow, but still, 
I mean, gay women, um, women of color, etc., Roma women are very much uh, the concern because it's a substance of the policy. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, it's a, an inclusive policy, yeah. right? Um, it was not the, qu the, the reason why I asked for the floor. Um, the, uh, my, my question is more is about the European elections. Yes. Uh, you were talking about sort of a, a new narrative before. Mm. And uh, I mean, the new narrative should be rather simple for most people in this room. Uh, it is that Europe is in a very bad way and you must have sort of new actors coming on the scene to actually try something else, right? Um, and uh, I mean, for the European elections uh, next year, um, we've at the moment got one third of, of the uh, uh, of um, uh, MEPs uh, who are women, but it's not enough if, until we've got parity. I mean, it's not not enough. Uh, it is not the responsibility of women because there's loads of women who can be candidates. So it is very much now the responsibility of institutions, governments, uh, and parties, right? Uh, so my question is a very tricky one. Sorry, Commissioner. Yes. But can the Commission do anything to, uh, from now until the, the, the election to actually uh, make sure that the uh, existing sort of declarations of the Council, uh, uh, recommendations, conclusions, etc., we've got loads of texts, are actually implemented to get more women in the European Parliament and in the future Commission? That's a very big question. That's a very big question. I'll answer, but I mean, one of the things I thought where you, I thought you might be going is, actually, is there a need for a you know, women matter vote? You know, women's vote matters next year. And how do you, and perhaps something to think about in this discussion is that, how do you encourage more women to turn out and believe that by turning out, that they'll make a difference? Because if you think about it, if they did, it could change politics. That's not to say that women are all perfect, but actually it will change the dynamic. That if more women turn, if there are more candidates, but also, how do you create a grassroots movement? But imagine if you created a grassroots movement across Europe to say actually women's vote matter and actually to actually encourage the debate about why am I not represented in those kind of political processes. And But I'll, come, I'll let you answer that question first. Yes, uh, I think we should do something to uh, make sure that the women vote for women, which is not the case. I don't know why. Why is it so? I would like to ask you here. Uh, I don't want to be cynical, but uh, if I, I know something about political marketing and measuring the preferences and so on, when the political party sees that it might bring better result, then we see the women on the candidate list. And that's why I started responding by, I wish the women <laughs> vote more for women. Uh, we, uh, as the Commission, do not have any legislative uh, power to uh, order or to, to, to legislate on the way the candidate lists are structured. But of course, we can influence it. We can uh, have the. We can use our authority in our political parties, and I am sure it will all happen. But we do not have any legislative instrument in in hand. So. I, I do hope that there will be more women in the next uh, parliament because now one third, it's a little bit higher than the uh, European average, which is 29%, but still the women women are missing. I get your point. But I, I think this is a good insp 
inspiration. Thank you for this, although tricky question, because we still have some time to do uh, something more tangible and maybe more uh, convincing vis-a-vis uh, I take your point about the kind of, you know, there's a marketing issue here about political candidature. And, you know, parties will say, actually, if we put a woman there, we're not going to get the vote. I'm thinking, actually, if you were to create a campaign across Europe just to get women to turn out in... People have done this in other areas. I mean, look at what Trump or Obama or others, or Macron's done, is to really dissect constituencies and get people to move in. Why can't you have a similar kind of really aggressive, positive approach to make women turn out? And in very Because it's contraproductive in many member states. I can okay. tell you exactly. Okay. I will not tell you where. Oh, ah, I wish you would. I wish you would. It would be interesting. Now, I've got about eight hands up. So if I'm going to finish at seven... Oh my God, I've got 12 hands up. Okay, so if you want to live with me, if the commissioner can stay on a little bit longer. So, so give me yes and no questions. <laughs> so there's the lady at the back who's been very patient. So very, very, very brief. I'll, I'll try to be extremely brief. So first of all, many thanks for your passion that you put into the topic. So my name is Dorothee Arns. I'm the executive director of Petrochemicals Europe, a part of CEFIC, Council of the Chemical Industry. I can sign off everything you said, and my question to you is what would help to encourage young ladies to come out and uh, take their share of the power, so to say, or okay. the possibility to, to uh, move things? Because what we see for the chemical industry, universities are full of talented young ladies. Uh, also, 50% uh, are newcomers to our industry, but we seem to lose them over the time. Um, do you think quota is the best possibility? Do you think role models? Because as a German, Angela Merkel is a role model, but it's also not booming in terms of political females coming okay. up. Can I just ask you very quickly, in terms of your experience, you're in a powerful position. Have you seen change happen as a result of you being executive director? Which is a difficult question, I know. I'm the only female uh, member uh -huh. of the leadership team since years, I have to say. I'm also part of the Chemical Industries Talent and Diversity Industry Council. Okay. So we do our best. We see it's it's coming, but very, very slowly. As somebody said snail's okay. pace. Um, and the boom is not there, which we thought there is. So we are losing talents, and we don't know why. <laughs> okay, so quota, and then lady here. Do you been patient too? But again, very brief, please. Again, who you are and brief your question. Claudia Calderini, I'm a women leadership uh, professor. Uh, so thank you for your leadership throughout the days. We have, of course, uh, been meeting very frequently on these occasions. Now, I would like to build on Agnes Hubert's uh, question about the European elections. Mm. Um, with the promotion of our book about women leadership and the importance of role models to get women to the top positions in Europe, we have been participating in all these conversations here in Brussels mm -hmm. and going to the member states. And even if here, <laughs> where the hub of power is, we're still miles away from where we would like to be, we are much closer in terms of awareness to the economic narrative, to the business models mm -hmm. that are um, consistent with having more gender diversity sure. at the top. When you go to the member states, the gap is huge. And what I realize is that the commission, the delegations, the presence, the presence in the member states, at least in the capitals, is doing a lot to combat Euroscepticism by organizing European days. But gender is never 
part of the conversation. So why not tailor the public marketing, thinking of the elections, along the lines of the women's vote meta, women's but also diversity. women voting for women, um, and tailor this through campaigns in the member states so that women vote for women. Thank you. Well done, thank you. I think absolutely. There are 50 women in this audience. Imagine if you walked out today and created that campaign, what would happen? You have the power to do that. It happens here, you could do that. And you could be supporting that potentially as a woman leader. I, well, yeah, but I, I like this as an inspiration. In fact, we will do uh, either, either recommendation or a communication as a reaction on, on Cambridge Analytica mm. uh, case because we see that there is the danger that uh, the elections can be influenced by uh, this uh, unfair or illegal method. And so we will... We will do something about the elections, uh, not legislation, and we have to think about Monica Chiara if we should not touch upon also this gender, um, gender aspect. Uh, yes, yes. And the quota issue? By the way, the, the we, quota we, issue, there we. must be both push and pull, uh, I think. So uh, about push. Okay to, to uh, really push, push the, the women to study the proper schools and, and uh, to have the, the ed, uh, practical education for, for these jobs. Uh, it must happen uh, at, the in, at the family and school level, but there should be the pull effect from the side of the industry itself. And I think, I think that in the countries where uh, there is functioning strategy of the human resources for labor market, it should be there as well, mm. which might be the case of Germany, yeah. I guess. But let's, when we do come back to this issue about how do you motivate more women to come out? Because um, that, that seems to me as being a, a kind of a turning point. Now, I just wanted to draw your attention that we have a, a debating platform, citizen platform. Over three and a half million people go onto it, and we are currently having, having a debate right now, which is that. <clears throat> Okay, you can join it directly right now if you wanted to and engage it. What it will also do though, it will tell you what other people are thinking. What are ordinary citizens thinking about quotas and gender equality? Give you a really rare insight into how ordinary, if I can call it, people on the street think about this matter. But engage in this debate because you'll find it interesting. So, I know, there's been about... May I? Monica has yeah, a microphone on ah, the elections. Sorry, sorry. Maybe, on the election, just maybe she, she will tell us the truth. Yes. No, yes. no. <laughs> the truth is that on November, in November this year, there will be this famous fundamental rights colloquium yes. organized under the auspices of a commissioner Jourova and first vice president uh, Timmermans. There will be the topic of democracy. So, uh, elections will come up and one of the workshops and one of the main panels will focus on women as well. So I think that those who are interested and live in Brussels is the 26th and 27th of November. There will be the highest representatives from member states. And this is also to engage with the member states and to ask them how they are encouraging in women and elections, etc. So the topic is in the air. I think that it's also meant to be in, you know, before the European elections, but also for the national elections. Because yeah. This is important. So just yeah. to and let's hope that yeah. workshop influences the actual top narrative of that conversation, rather than being a classic workshop on women. And no, 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 no. It's no, about no, like saying, how to make sure that saying, women as long engage, as it's not yeah. that, because that would be very out of date. Yeah. And the, maybe also one little kind of anecdote. Last year in uh, autumn, a uh, commission proposed a regulation on the political parties because it was demanded by the European Parliament. So it has been um, clarified what should be the transparency for the uh, elections. 
And one of the um, measures we managed to sneak into the regulation was that the political parties, one year before the European elections, they have to, for the sake of transparency, uh, present you know whatever their program, blah blah blah. But also their uh, gender equality list. It was not imposing anything like quota. Just let us know, you know, where are you with women and men? This was the first thing which has been erased in the council during the discussions. Believe me. So by the European Council. At the European Council, when the regulation has been adopted by the Commission, went to the co-legislators, no. Isn't that, a sto isn't that a story in its own right, I think it ladies is and gentlemen, yes. about the quality of leadership on this matter? Just to present themselves as the political parties. Maybe they were afraid. I there should know. be a viral hashtag campaign on that issue alone. My goodness, my goodness. Now, right, so I'm going to wow. So are you happy to stay on literally for a little bit, five, five minutes or so, oh, that we absolutely. could... Ah, oh, fantastic. <laughs> Excellent. So, lady here, and I'll come round the sea of hands. I promise. And then I'll come to you next, I promise. And then... Okay, thank you very much. Yeah. Um, so, I'm the representative of uh, European Women's Lobby. My name is Anna Tomazo. And uh, we are currently working on the 50-50 lobbying campaign, Women for Europe, Europe for Women. And what we do believe, uh, it's concerning all the questions that we've heard, especially on the diversity issues, okay. is that uh, there is a big work that has to be done in the member states by the lobbying. So if you women, I think that you all come from a country, and I think that you all uh, know very well association in your country, it's up to them uh, to try to impose or the okay. national parties to present women sure. and yeah. diverse women. Yeah, but I think that having a campaign that mm -hmm. enables people to connect will be the most important thing. To yeah. That's not a question, but I'm going to move on to the next lady there. I will come to you, I promise. Hello. Again, be brief if you can. Yeah, yeah I'm very brief. I would like to know which one are the nation states in Europe that are more women-friendly in terms of policies, and which ones have actually made progresses in the past five years, and which ones have gone backwards in the past five years? Of course, traditional, uh, the northern champions, you can imagine all the surveys, Sweden, Norway, uh, Finland, Denmark. Uh, the biggest uh, uh, champion in the jump is Italy. Mm -hmm. Irony of ironies, given what's happening at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the countries which go back... We have the gender equality index, yeah. uh, and uh, the average is 62%. Uh, there is still a big gap, and they jumped up by 20% the Italians, uh, and, and they did it up, they, they jumped up. And, and we are measuring different things like, like uh, economic uh, yeah. figures and, and health. Uh, it's this whole set of uh, indicators by yeah. which that barometer in indicates where the country has shifted. Sorry to cut because I want to move on. But the reality, which is the country that's moved backwards? Yeah. Well, the, the east of Europe uh, and the tra those where, where they shout that by Istanbul Convention we, we are endangering traditional family. These and are the, the church the, is very powerful. All churches say. in Bulgaria, it was, uh, these were Catholics, uh, Orthodox plus uh, uh, Muslims, uh, all one family against this. Yeah. It was quite strange. Indeed. Uh, lady there with a the hand up, just there. No, no, uh, uh, no, no, lady behind you. And then to you. 
Again, I will need you all be brief. <coughs> yeah, I'm also trying to be brief. My name is Sofia. I'm currently an intern at the European Liberal Forum. Um, and I also want to say something because it came up now a lot that we know women should vote for women. We have to talk to women. Women have to work together. We maybe need a campaign. So my question is rather, have we started to try to make this issue by taking it away you know it is not about women it's about all of us have we started to spend too much time on creating a narrative for men to join and, and should we actually not focus more on women vote for women and because who's going to stand up if not the ones that are actually uh, directly concerned i'm i'm agreeing that also men has to have to be our strongest partner in reaching gender equality but if we are not standing up, who will do it for us? And um, my question is, you know, we're as women all upholding the system. We're also part of the system. So um, have we started to put our message too much into this narrative from it's not about women? Because it I, is actually I, about the, women. The, uh, can we create a message that has a, a pull in it on the emotions and the hearts and the rationale of men to join the, join the issue, basically? Okay. We are, we are not differentiating who no. the message is for. We, ha we have the same messages for women and men in the same way. I think that by, by doing different message for the women's society and men's society, we will just uh, deepen the stereotypes. Uh, I'm convinced about that. But uh, we had targeted campaign uh, against violence, of course, on, on men, on fo football clubs and through the documentary films. It was a very wide campaign and there were well-targeted messages to the men's part of the society. But I, I have another problem. By, by campaigning more women and, and uh, m better, better opportunities, uh, sometimes I have a feeling, and it, you may not like what I'm going to say, that we are losing energy and time on playing uh, with ourselves. Uh, my, my message would be, let's go and take part of the responsibility for this world. Let's, let's go for it. We are well-educated. Uh, we, in many member states and majority, we have the services which can enable us to, to combine family and, and work. Uh, I, I would like to see more proactive uh, approach from the women themselves mm -hmm. to, to stop complaining, which is weakening us. And uh, I simply think that without the courageous women, we will never do that. We no, will never and, you, and your anything. point's made. You know, there are some brilliant. I want to be well understood on this. No, absolutely. But I think you know there are some brilliant tech entrepreneurs that are women. There are some brilliant political strategists that are women. There are some brilliant women lobbyists. How do you connect the dots of those and say actually create this campaign, which actually is becoming, you know, is important because as, oppo as opposed to just relying on things to happen as they are? There is one factor which is not helping now. Uh, for women to go to politics, for women to, to do the journalism, for the positions when, when, where they are publicly visible, the uh, increased hostility uh, in online is discouraging women to go and to do that. Yeah. Because uh, they are much more often the targets of violence online. Yes, indeed. And if you ask me, what will you do about it, Jourova, I really don't know. Uh, we, we do a lot against hate speech. Uh, we do a lot about against uh, other illegal uh, co contents online. But when 
the, 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 the great women tell me we will not go to politics because we cannot undertake that risk. What can I say? It's about their basic feeling whether they can do it or not. Indeed, but that's where peer group and support networks matter. And it's about how women connect with each other and don't feel alone, that actually I'm the only one tackling a bot that's doing hate speech against me. But that's about how women make connections with each other, with the support of men as well. Lady here, you've been very patient. And I'm only gonna, I'm gonna take only three more, four more, Max, I'm afraid. I'll do it quickly. Okay, all right, as long yeah. as you're happy to. I have a good excuse not to go to the next meeting. Fine, okay, great. You heard it from her, so that we'll, we'll carry on. Yes, Who you are? good Who afternoon. Are you? My name is Marta Varela from IFRA, and I'm glad to say that our president is a woman, so it's, and it's a global role. Uh, my question is a personal question, and it's uh, taking the opportunity that you are the commissioner also of justice, and it's because I'm, my home country is Spain, and you might know that we have a case now which is revolting society, about a group of the pack, they call, you know, that they, I consider they rape, but they just consider it was sexual abuse. Mm. So there is, in this case, this paradoxal, because it's the society which is moving forward beyond legislation. And my question is, are you working or taking measures with the member states to educate judges or people working in justice about gender, we think there is a lack of empathy because law exists and you have to respect, but it's, they interpretate law. And I think that's where there is a feeling about it. So thank you. Yeah, we, we are educating judges. Uh, we are funding a lot of programs which educate all levels of law enforcement uh, because uh, the way they work with uh, the victims and they deal with these horrible cases. Of course, it's uh, it's important that that we influence uh, influence it. I was shocked by that uh, when this happened in Spain, because I myself had Spain as the testing territory for the specific law against violence against women. Mm. I always exactly. thought about Spain. Yes, they they did it because I am criticized for not uh, adopting the directive against violence against women. Yeah, it is a long-term criticism and, and I try to bring arguments and at the same time, because I, I always have some self-reflection and hesitation whether it was right not to do this directive. I was looking at Spain, whether to have a specific law will help the situation and I don't see big uh, improvement. But I, I don't want to judge according to one case, but I think it's no, no, it's well, not only one case. One part of the, it's just a case, but I think it's interesting because it's bringing a case. No, but, but, you're, but, but the, the wider point you're making is that... But we the, are funding the trainings, which are also focused on this. The judiciary are a, a huge cog in the wheel of either discrimination cases or harassment cases or even violence against women. We know that. And I think what we need is a, um, a great, A, you need more women judges to a certain extent, but the training is key. How much of an impact it has, having done that myself in the UK, uh, the only thing that changed was to make sure that you used re re legislation, regulation to improve the diversity of women in circuit judges. That has had a huge impact in London and elsewhere, where you've got more women, women of color, uh, and disability who are actually in the judge's circuit that's changing the jurisprudence. And that, that's taken about 25 years just to get to that point in the UK. I'm gonna move over here. You've been very patient and you have, and I will come to the middle, I promise. I haven't forgotten the middle. <laughs> and again, 
Yes, very quickly. My name is Asita Kanko. I'm the founder of the Political Incubator for Women and Special Advisor to Women Political Leaders. So, um, my, I just want to make a very quick comment. When I heard people saying we need to campaign and ask women to vote for women, I would like to say, as a politician myself, please, and as a voter, let's be careful. Imagine someone comes and see you and say, "Vote for me because I'm a man," or "Vote for me because I'm a woman." You will not do that. Voting is an emotional act. It's a very important that we learn how to run hell of campaigns and win elections. And that's what we're trying to do, is to help women find, negotiate inside the party. That's why we're having a negotiation training next week at Facebook. Negotiating inside the party because nobody is going to wake up in the morning and say, oh, you look so sweet, well, you will run for Europe. No, you need to really work during one or two years to get that place. So we want women to learn that and to run campaigns where they convince someone that they're the best candidate to vote for instead of waiting. And you're and absolutely right, but that takes that's a tough deal, right? But you're absolutely right. I'm sorry to cut across you. But the, I think the point here is that if you were to create a movement across Europe, mm -hmm. you'll have greater argument or greater change chances or that, an emotional weight. I understand that. That's saying. where I'm coming to. The yeah. link now is education because this I have learned I've learned it while doing politics. At the beginning I didn't know that. So it's better to know that before, to know that earlier. So my question is, would it be possible from European level to have um, a commitment from member states and work together to um, to teach uh, children already from school about leadership positions so that they grow up with that idea of also going to get something um, just like boys are learning. Would we, we, could, we could do that? something like that through funding. We, yeah. we can look into that. Absolutely, not, not using funding that's available, yes. absolutely, because regulation is not within the competence. But actually I have a very strong temptation to do it in my country. Yeah, uh. yeah. And it's easily done with very, very small bits of funding actually in schools. And then I'll come into the middle, I promise. Hello, um, my name is Jasmine Candid and um, I'm doing at the moment a five-month traineeship at the European Commission. It's a EU external action. Um, it's a EU agency and um, yeah, so uh, I have a question because uh, you talked about the possibilities that uh, one can undertake to um, something about it and at the moment, for example, me together with um, some other women, we are organizing a charity event also in support of the um, European women lobby and um, refugees got talent and um, I wanted to ask um, what do you think about this kind of initiative where do you believe that um, um, it uh, yeah um, can contribute and I don't know some other modest kind of way or what other kind of initiative one can undertake to do something about the issue because it's really important. Of course, I welcome these initiatives and I, I forgot to say at the beginning that for, for the for helping the women, uh, there is so much mentoring and so little sponsoring. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that whatever uh, you will do, uh, it, it doesn't have to be only from the political level. These are spontaneous events and spon spontaneous efforts. And I, I, I think it, whatever you will do will help. Absolutely. Yes. And thank you for that. Thank you. Indeed. Absolutely. And small, small steps are very, very important in a bigger battle. Hello, my name is Lina Vasiluti and I'm a researcher at SEPS. And I would like to ask you, because you mentioned something interesting, that uh, you feel that emotional argument or fairness argument does not work anymore, and it's more economic argument that you are trying to use it. But quite interestingly, in the last years, what it seemed to make br um, big breakthrough, it was this hashtag MeToo campaign, which kind of was very emotional, very charged, and at the same time um, went into those waters where 
I guess, uh, yeah, European po policies rarely go and kind of challenge the very essence of the male dominance, if you wish. So should we, uh, thinking of, of this breakthrough, um, should we somehow think of, of being more brave in the EU when speaking about these issues? Because I was kind of struck in hearing about this a little clause that has been sneaked in and then just throw out at the council. Like, so these things would not happen. Thank you. It's a little bit connected with yeah. what, what I just said now to, to the charity, that yeah. these are spontaneous, if you allow me to say bottom-up, movements, actions, activities, which are so important, which can achieve what we cannot achieve top-down by political decisions. It, there must be a healthy combination of, of those two, two layers. A, a friend of mine speaks about sandwich, so we can imagine who, who is hungry, who can have better imagination of that. So I, I think that this is, this is important. If somebody wants to organize something like Me Too campaign from political circles, you can imagine the reaction of the society <laughs> we cannot do that, and uh, you never know. We had this conversation I, I about women's that. vote matters. I think that the issue there, I think, is power plus emotion works. Those are some of the most powerful, well-known women, right, who said enough. You know, and that's what it sometimes takes. Is that you know, if you get personality and power together, you saw the kind of, you know, the viral nature of it. And that's what you need, is, I think, in this political space, is that, you know, if Angela Merkel, you and, let's say, all the women previous commissioners and some of the chairs of committees would say, you know what, we're going to stand up for political representation to be 50%, imagine the power of that in the paper, in the conversation, and it'll have a conversation at a local party level. Because actually, if these women were to say, we believe in, actually, equal representation in the lists, right? And it's important for decision-making and the kind of society we want, Boy, can you imagine the, Im the impact of that? But, but on, on harassment and violence, we use all thinkable possible channels to inform permanently the European society. One in three women experienced violence. One in three, exactly. One in three. And it's not that alarming as this Me Too campaign, because nobody believes us or nobody wants to listen. Y you see? Mm. The, this must be a combination. Absolutely. Hi, thank you. My name is Mary O'Mahony and I'm here tonight as part of a supporter of an Irish NGO called Women for Election, which tries to do exactly as it says on the tin, to get women, Irish women into po political positions at local and national level. And I want to come back to your point you made very early on about the need for a combination of tools. We started in 2012 when Ireland had 16% in our national parliament of women, but by having quotas introduced for our last national election, where the parties had to put 30% women as candidates, we've brought it up to 22%. But what our organisation is doing, and I want to plea for your colloquium to help us with this, is we set out to inform, inspire and equip women to go for politics. Mm -hmm. Because part of it is to demystify. How do you get in? It's been Absolutely. run by years for men yeah, yeah. in dark, smoke-filled rooms. So how do you get in? But we give very practical training programmes. Um, and um, we would love to debate this best practice with our European colleagues and share ideas and get more ideas from them. And I know you can't interfere in national elections, but if you can provide us with that kind of, kind of platform, I really, really think it would be really helpful across all uh, different countries which are struggling uh, to get the quotas levels up to our Nordic sisters uh, category. Thank but you I think for, we are for inspiration. We have to look into that. Yeah. No, very happy yeah. to come.
Yeah, because uh, because uh, again uh, we can use some funding and uh, do the campaign whatever. Yeah. So, lady here next to you, just next to you, and then behind you. But very very briefly okay. again, because I want um, to make sure I'm looking at the room around. Peggy McGuire, European Institute of Women's Health. Congratulations, Commissioner, on your on your work on gender equality. And um, going back to the very beginning, I agree totally with you. There is current legislation there. Why is it not implemented at national level? We need to know why, and we need to correct that and look at the gaps. What a shame that gender equality isn't in all policies, because if we had it in all policies, not just ticking boxes, but actually looking at from the day one policies made, what effect is it having on men and women? But I think we need to take, also take a life course approach, I don't know what you think of that, um, looking at gender equality, um, and look at from education, from schools, for boys and girls to stop, to stop violence against women. And specifically, I think we do have to look at women, because even if you look at women in clinical trials. Women have not been included in clinical trials up until recently when sure. we had a revision of the new clinical trials regulation. So uh, we do okay. need to emphasise. Yeah. Indeed. So. But I think the, you know, the fact that European Council threw out that clause tells you the mountain that needs to be climbed. But actually, it's also about how much noise is created around that kind of decision. And that's the issue that, you know, if, you were, if there were more noise about that, people would be embarrassed or you hold the mirror up to that council. That was a lot of stakeholders working together over 10 years to table uh, amendments and get did. age and gender indeed, into the indeed. new clinical trials regulation. Lady behind you, then you can come. <clears throat> um, my name is Ana Gonzalez. I work for the delegation of the government of uh, Catalonia. I'll try to be very brief. Um, my question is on gender policies in the next multi-annual financial framework. I think gender budgeting has proved to be one of the most useful tools to address structural um, discrimination. Mm. And uh, I was a bit surprised to see that um, in proposals issued by the European Commission, gender equality is not a horizontal priority, for example, as climate is. So I would like to ask if you could comment a bit of that. Yeah, but that, there, yeah, is con con there is mm. conditionality that if the member state wants to have the money they have to have a living uh, gender equality strategy and, and lead the programs. But they the, put there the conditionality. But you know, in Canada, it trialed it the first. It introduced gender proofing of budgets for the first time in the world, and it's had a, it had a significant impact. Scotland did a bit of it. England hasn't gone there because uh, I was I was working with the Scottish government at the time, and it does make a huge huge difference in gender proofing of budgets because it makes you ask all sorts of questions about where the money is going, but what the data it throws up. Do you see there, that There is something like the societal transformation, or I, I don't know, something where we, we, will, uh, we will have the, the gender equality programs and the projects. So, uh, Monica, do you remember the, the priority title where it will be placed? But on, on gender proofing of budgets? Yeah. No, in the common provisions regulation on how the member states are... Um, Using the money, there is the conditionality on... I think we went, even went a step forward from the last time because before it was a horizontal um, condition which nobody knows how to follow. But this time we put concrete targets that the member states have to have the gender equality strategy in place and what are the indicators for being able to fulfill this condition. Okay. So I think we went even step forward, but let's see how it will work in the practice. The and question is why we do not have their priority, which will be directly financed. This we also have in, in uh, several programs. So, so I think it's uh, in the CPR. I don't know if you want to go into details, but we can discuss. Okay, you know. let's um, take a final two or three. That's it. And I'm going to close off. There's a lady there who's been very patient and I'll take two. The lady at the back who's been very patient. 
Uh, Rod Shrews from the European Parliament Research Service. I was actually going to ask about the MFF as well, um, but um, that's already been answered. But about the gender impact assessments that went into the MFF, um, did that happen? Were there gender impact assessments as part of that process? Oh my God, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I love your honesty, it's great. But something to find out, absolutely. Something to find out, and I wonder if they're actually published. Because in other places where they've adopted gender impact assessments, they're public. In the UK, for example, Canada they are. Uh, I'm not sure about other continental countries at, at this stage, but however, but it's a very good point. Um, lady, lady there at the back? We can find out. Mm. It seems to me that uh, there are a lot of young girls who use this gender equality issue to show up. And that is a worrying trend. Uh, I would prefer to have less photos and more uh, facts about the inequality and how to solve it, just to turn the wheel to the more solid discussion out of the photo pictures making. The problem is that one picture tells more than 1,000 words. It's a marketing uh, pro, pro, uh, rule. Yeah. Colleagues, thank you. Is that all? Are you sure? <laughs> I think I think they're done. There, there was a gentleman who uh, here who was patiently uh, asking for he, the floor, and he left. <laughs> you're absolutely right, but, you know, but this you know, is not how our gender policy should result. Yeah, not at all, <laughs> not at all. But you know, women have had to have not had their questions answered for many, many years in these kind of situations, and therefore it's more important to actually focus on, on, on that response. But thank you all very much. Uh, thank I you. thank you. Thank you very Can much. Honestly, I mean, um, it's, it's a kind of, you've done a role modeling of yourself as a commissioner. You've not bucked any of the questions. You've been honest and actually you've been engaging and compassionate. If only the others were like you. But let's, <laughs> let's see, let's see. Colleagues, follow the, d the debate, obviously. I just think that, you know, remember, remember that actually, you know, if you do, if 50 of you do walk out of here today and create that hashtag Women's Vote Matter, that'd be great. Let's see if something happens. Or even if some of you come together and create some sort of momentum and movement, I'm sure it will have an impact across Europe if we actually got there. So thank you very much for your time. I hope we've been able to help you connect the dots of the debate and, uh, and get to some change. Of course yeah. you may. Yeah, I, I want it. I, I cannot resist. I, I would have some, some pain in my stomach if I do not say that. <laughs> Uh, my position to gender equality is uh, I, I am very much determined and convinced that we are doing the right thing. And mm -hmm. then when I read in Czech newspaper that Jourova might be the next Czech president <laughs> because she is a woman, I feel offended. Isn't there any other quality than when what some some commenter uh, some journalist commented it uh, the only qualification of this woman when they nominated me for for the commission the only quality is that she was born 50 years ago as a woman and it's so offending yeah so uh, let's get voted because we are better we are brilliant we see behind the horizon and we can change the world for the better. I cannot that help That is a Thank campaign you. slogan on a t-shirt. I can see it. Really, that's the campaign slogan. Thank you so much. Thank you, colleagues. As ever.
this has been one of our better debates. So that's a bit rather invidious of me to say that, and my colleague's going to say, don't say that. This has been lovely, and you've been fantastic. Stay. We have got some, you know, a cocktail uh, for you to enjoy. And thank you, and continue to follow our debates, but also our next uh, iteration of this, this particular debate will continue into the next year. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.